Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Hello, friends. Thank you for being here. It's exciting to learn about the spirituality behind many of the laws and customs of the high holidays as we are here in the month of Elul, approaching Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Simchat Torah and all of that. And it's very exciting. And we're, um, we're excited when Torah flows from Eretz Yisrael, from Medinat Yisrael. So tonight our scholar is, is zooming in from Israel where we can learn uh, from her. And, um, and as usual, she'll offer us a presentation followed by uh, some engagement together, Q&A. Of course, you're always welcome to type in the chat as, as she's presenting to, to connect with your fellow learners today. Rabbanit Sharona Halakmin holds a BA in Judaic Studies from Stern College and an MS in Jewish Studies, Jewish Education from Azrieli Graduate School at Yeshiva University. Sharona was the first Orthodox woman to serve as a member of clergy as the first congregational intern and first Madricha Ruchanit at the Hebrew Institute of Riverdale in New York. After making Aliyah in 2004, when she moved to Israel, Sharona founded Torah Reva Yerushalayim, a nonprofit organization based in Jerusalem, which provides Torah study groups for students of all ages and backgrounds. I'm pleased to say that Rabbi Sharona has been one of the most common educators that we've invited back due to her ability to fly through so many sources and unpack their depth with us to make sure we not only have um, a breadth of comprehension, but also a, de a, de a depth of comprehension. So thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so I'm going to share the screen now so that we can follow along with the sources um, as we go along. Okay, fantastic. Um, okay, so we are getting ready for the high holidays. The month of Elul just began, which means that this is our preparation time for the high holidays. It's best not to jump in to the holidays without this preparation. And that's why I picked this specific date because I felt that this would give enough time for you to actually do your homework, okay? So tonight is going to be the opening, but I'm going to give you a lot of things to think about and to look into so that you're really fully, um, fully prepared spiritually so that when you come in to the holidays, you'll be ready. Um, so first we're going to start, uh, we're gonna actually talk about three different topics tonight. One is going to be the shofar, or tonight for me, this morning for you. <laughs> um, one is uh, the shofar uh, and what spirituality we're going to find there. One is prayer, which is not only gonna be for the high holidays, but you know, on a daily basis as well. And then the third is going to be wearing white clothing on Yom Kippur. Okay, so we're going to look into each of these, um, each of these laws and customs and see where we fit in and how to make, uh, how to make these observances much more spiritual or to see really behind the scenes what they're about and see how you personally can connect. And we're going to see that, that for each of these, there are different levels of connection. You can really choose how you want, uh, how you want to connect. So we're going to start with the, uh, with the shofar. And we're going to see that it's not so clear cut 
what instrument we're blowing. Okay, when we look in Vayikra, when we look in the book of Leviticus, we see it says, Deber el b'nei Yisrael emor, v'chodesh ha-shvi'i v'achad l'chodesh, yelechem shabbaton, zichron tru'ah mikra kodesh. So um, God tells Moshe, speak to b'nei Yisrael and tell them that in the seventh month, now if you remember that we're counting from Nisa. Okay, so Nisan, the, the, the month uh, where we have Passover, usually March, April, that's the first month from the Exodus of Egypt. So the Torah always talks about the months from the Exodus of Egypt. So what we're talking about the seventh month, we're counting from Nisan, even though usually when we think of Rosh Hashanah, we think of it being the first month. Rosh Hashanah is the first month if we go back to the creation of the world, right? Adam and Eve were created on Rosh Hashanah, but that's really the universal new year, right? We always call Rosh Hashanah Jewish new year, right? But really Rosh Hashanah is the universal new year and Nisan, right? The month of Passover is actually the Jewish new year. So when we count in the Torah, we count from the, from the Jewish new year. So that makes Rosh Hashanah the seventh, uh, the first day of the seventh month. And it's the first day, that is a day where we don't work. It's going to be called a zichron trua, right? A, a, um, a holiday that remember that we're remembered through loud blasts, right? So it says trua, there's a blast, but it doesn't say what instrument that blast comes from. And then in Bamidbar as well, in, in numbers, right? Same thing, seventh month of the, of the Jewish um, calendar. On the first of the month, Mikra Kodesh, it's a holiday. Yalachem kol malachat avodah lo tasu, right? No working. Yom truah yalachem. Again, it's a it's a day of truah, of blasting of something, but it doesn't say what. But I'll give you a hint. In Tehillim, and we um, actually, the Shir Shalyom, the song of the day that we say every Thursday, actually has the shofar right in it. So if, if, you, um, if you usually pray on Thursdays, or if you don't and you want to try it next Thursday, you can actually get a taste of already praying about the shofar. Because what do we say? This is the last, uh, the last um, part of the service. We say the song of the day, and there's a song for every day of the week. On Thursday's song of the day, it says, Tik'u shofar right? Blow on this horn of the new moon, okay? Um, and um, so what does it say? It's saying, it's saying to blast, right? Because, because we talked about the true ah, the blast earlier, but now we find out that the blast is from a shofar. It's from an animal's horn. It's not from a trumpet, right? Because we have, of course, in the Torah, there are other instruments, okay? Um, but specifically here, when we put the two verses from the Torah together with what's in Tehillim in Psalms, we actually get to, um, to this idea of, of the blast coming from a shofar, from a ram's horn, and this idea of the Kesa Leyom Chagenu. Usually our holidays are on the 15th of the month when there's a full moon, but Rosh Hashanah is, is different. And Rosh Chodesh is different because those holidays are on the first of the month where the moon is hidden, right? The Kesa, it's hidden. Kisui, it's covered. Um, so that's what, uh, that's what makes this special. So the Gemara talks about the mitzvah of shofar, right? We have a mitzvah to hear the shofar. Amar Rababahu, lama tokim shofar shal ayel. So why are we blowing the shofar? specifically made from a ram's horn. God says, I want you to blow the ram's horn. I want you to remember the binding of Isaac, the son of Abraham, 
I want you to feel as if you actually sacrificed yourselves for me, right? In the end, thank God in the story, in the end of Akedat Yitzchak, Yitzchak was not sacrificed, right? The idea was that Abraham would just show how much he cares and that he would have sacrificed his son if God would have wanted to, but that's not the way of the Jewish people and we don't sacrifice our children. So, um, so we gain strength from this idea that Abraham was willing to do it and thank God he didn't have to. We too, um, we too would be willing to do whatever God wants, but we don't have to. Now I'm very, very lucky because I live in Jerusalem. I have the view from my neighborhood of the old city of Jerusalem. I can actually see the Temple Mount just from walking a block or two away from my house. And, um, and every time I see the Temple Mount, I think of this story of, of Abraham and how he actually walked right through my neighborhood in order to get to the spot that he was going to bind Isaac on. And luckily he didn't have to, but because of that story, that's why there's the ram's horn rather than a regular trumpet. Um, and the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, why do we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? What do you mean, why are we blowing it? God said in the Torah, blow the shofar. So that's it, right? We, you know, God says, blow the shofar you blow the shofar, right? You don't need a reason. Okay, so why are we here tonight? Because I wanna give you a deeper meaning into why we're blowing it. Yes, it's a mitzvah. Yes, we have 613 mitzvot that are listed, things that we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. But we can also look into a deeper meaning and grow a deeper connection with, with each of these mitzvot. And so we're going to see a whole range of different, uh, different ideas of why we blow the shofar and, and also what for, for you to, things for you to think about while the shofar is being blown, right? Sometimes, you know, there are a hundred blasts. If you get to, if you get to the synagogue on time and you stay till the end, you could hear probably more than a hundred blasts. So what are you supposed to be thinking every time you hear it? So we're going to look into that now. Um, so Mishnah Torah, the, the Rambam, Maimonides says in Hilchot Shuvah, Af al shofar Okay, so even though it says in the Torah, blow the shofar, there's also, and so it's just a mitzvah that we don't even need a reason for, we're going to find the symbolism behind it. Klomar, uru Okay, if you are sleeping, wake up, right? Just like your alarm clock that you have in the morning, it rings and you have to get up, even though you might not want to, you may put it on snooze, wait a couple more minutes, but you have to get up, right? This is something that's telling you, get up right now. Okay, so the Rambam is saying, this is why we blow the shofar, to wake us up. Uh, this is your time to wake up and do tshuva, to return to God, to repent. I don't like the word repent so much, but to return to God, to return to yourself, to return to your fellow human beings. This is the time. And sometimes you just need a wake up call for, for you to do that. And it catches you off guard. Every time you hear the shofar, even though you know it's coming and it says in the prayer book, it's coming next, it just wakes you up. And the Sefer HaChinuch, um, which uh, lists the 613 mitzvot, it has mitzvah 405 is the commandment to listen to the shofar blowing. Mitzvah shofar b'Rosh Hashanah, she needs to vinu lishmoa kol shofar b'yom rishon shel tishrei. We're supposed to hear the, the sound of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Ukedistan b'mesachat Rosh Hashanah, because it says in the Gemara, v'echad b'tishrei Rosh Hashanah l'shani. Okay, so there's actually a bunch of Rosh Hashanahs. So like we had said earlier that there's the one 
for the Jewish people, right? That's in, um, in Nisan, because that's when we became a nation. But the, uh, the Rosh Hashanah that we're coming up to, that is how we count the years, right? It's 5782 is ending. We're going to be starting 5783. That's on Rosh Hashanah. Now, this year is a very interesting year because we have the Shemitah. We have the, um, the year where the crops are supposed to lay fallow. So all of that changes on Rosh Hashanah. Last year, you could only plant until almost Rosh Hashanah, and then you couldn't plant this whole year. As soon as this is over, bang, day after Rosh Hashanah, you can do whatever you want again. So this is very important also for counting um, you know, the, diff the different years and the different agricultural ramifications. All of that has to do with uh, specifically with Rosh Hashanah. These laws are only in the land of Israel, right? The agricultural laws don't apply outside of the land of Israel. So once you're in Israel, you become much more aware of the Jewish year than, than, you, do, um, than you do outside. Um, so what does it say? It says in, uh, in Rosh Hashanah, right, we saw that earlier, that it'll be a day of blasting. Um, so in the shofar, right? Like we said earlier, it doesn't say that it has to be with a shofar. Over mitzvah time, maybe it's a different instrument. Over chol shar klei negina, mipni hashmuah lamdu zikronam libracha. The rabbis learned shehi b'shofar k'mo shemetzinu b'yovel shenemar shofar. Right in the fiftieth year, um, in the fiftieth year, also is the jubilee year. Then also the shofar was blown, so we connected together. That if there they use the shofar, then here we use the shofar, and that's why we use the ram's horn. Although if you only looked at things biblically, you wouldn't know which which type of instrument to use. Um, so Sefer Chinuch says, "Mishorshei haMitzvah, the roots of the mitzvah, l'fish haAdam baal." A person will not wake up unless he's pushed into it. He needs something to wake him up. Just like people in the time of war, they need a push. Now, unfortunately, in Israel, we have sirens that go off anytime a rocket is launched. Okay, the sirens go off only in the area where the rocket may hit. Right, so people have to really be aware of hearing the siren. And the minute they hear the siren, they have to rush into a sealed room. And depending how close they are to Gaza, they have a certain amount of time to get into the room. So the, the communities that are right outside of Gaza have 15 seconds to get into the sealed room before the rocket could explode or be detected by the Iron Dome um, mechanism. Um, and if you're a little bit further, then you have a little bit more time. Uh, now, people also have apps, which will show them on their phone where the rockets are, but actually it's not always so good because, for example, this summer there was a rocket that hit near Jerusalem, but not in Jerusalem. So, for example, I rely on the sirens. I didn't hear anything. But people that looked at their apps said, oh, my God, it's near Jerusalem, and then they got all worried. The idea is that if you hear the siren, then you know there's some type of war going on. So this is really something that's still applicable today. Um, right? And also people will, will yell during the war, they'll scream, get out of here, you know, or fire, help, you know, whatever it is. There's, there's this yelling, this waking up going on. Right? You have to wake up for war. This is the day that was decided from the creation that the world would be judged on that day. So we really have to wake up. Um, and that's why in Elul, we blow the shofar uh, during the month of Elul every day except for Shabbat. And that's just a wake up call to say, hey, get yourselves ready. Just like we're having the class tonight, get yourselves ready. But the real mitzvah is only 
on Rosh Hashanah, on both days of Rosh Hashanah. And the end of Yom Kippur, it's not the mitzvah. It's, it's a tradition that we do it, but the mitzvah of blowing the shofar with the blessings is only on Rosh Hashanah itself. Right, the, the sound of the truah, right, that it, it has a broken sound that really wakes you up. And what's really interesting in Israel is you have people going into parks and blowing the shofar for families that didn't attend services. You have people coming to synagogue just to hear the shofar, like they know exactly when it's going to be, and then they come in and then they leave. There's there's this pull to hear the shofar in all different uh, communities. And what's so beautiful is that um, you just walk down the streets and everywhere you go, you hear more shofars because different services are starting at different times. And uh, last year and the year before, we had to deal with the whole quarantine and the holidays and what's going to be with people that can't go to services because they still have to observe the mitzvah. So my oldest son knows how to blow the shofar and my middle son had to be in quarantine because his teacher was near somebody and they were, this, the rules were really strict and they said that he can't go to services. Um, so my son prepared and he blew it for him. But in the end, right outside our window, there were all kinds of people blowing show, a shofar. So it's really, really beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. Now we actually pray three times a day. We talk about the shofar and, you know, it's, and we're going to, when we get to the, uh, the prayer section of this, of this class, you're going to see why it's so important to know what we're praying about. Because what do we say? We say in the Shemona Esrei, in the and the silent devotion, right? Sound the great shofar for our liberty and raise a banner to gather our exiles. The shofar blowing is to is to um, bring on kibbutz galuyot, the ingathering of exiles. Bring us over from all four corners of the earth, right? And the idea is that when it's the time of the Mashiach, the, the shofar will be blown and everybody will come from all over the world. So we we kind of, um, in the modern state of Israel, we and even before the state was established, we already got a jump start on this. And we have people coming and making aliyah from all over the world. Most recently, we've had a lot of flights of um, Americans and Canadians, Ukrainians. Um, so we, we always see uh, Ethiopians. Those are the groups that pretty much came um, over the summer, we're always getting these groups. And when I made Aliyah, when I came exactly 18 years ago on the Nefesh B'Nefesh um, organization's flight, we got off the flight and there was a greeting committee there and they blew the shofar for us. It was amazing. This exact prayer that we say three times a day, this took place right there. They, they blew the shofar for the ingathering of the exile. So that's one of, so, so far we've seen that um, there's the binding of Isaac. That's one reason that we, we blow the shofar. There's the uh, this ingathering of exiles. And of course, there's the waking up of uh, to do tshuva. But Rav Sadia Gaon actually has a list of 10 reasons uh, why we blow the shofar. And what I recommend is as we go through the list, think of what speaks to you. If you can't even jot it down and bring it with you, put it on a little piece of paper, bring it with you to services. And when the shofar is being blown, look at the, the topics that really you feel that you can connect to and focus on them while the shofar is being blown. So the first one is coronating God. Okay, um, since it was the day of the creation, we're, we're coronating God by the blowing of the shofar. And that's, you know, you think of all those movies, you know, when the king comes, you know, they, they blow their trumpets as the king arrives, you know. So that's, that's what we're doing. 
Um, Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the, of the Aser Yimei Chuba, right? The 10 days of repentance, which culminate with Yom Kippur. And the sound of the shofar is the final warning that we must do Chuba, right? Very nice. Now we blow it every day just to remind people, get started, get started. But on Rosh Hashanah, it says, listen, you're in the finish line now. You have to get moving. You have to make sure that anybody that you wronged, you have to make things right before, um, before Yom Kippur. Um, the sound of the shofar reminds us of, of Har Sinai. The, the, um, the, when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, there were blasts of the shofar in the background. Now, what's really interesting there is that we didn't see a shofar. We just heard a shofar. It was a miraculous shofar blowing, which uh, reminds me kind of of a Broadway show. And there's scenery and there's lighting and there's, there's sound. So the shofar was the sound. Uh, the sound of the shofar can be compared to the sharp words of the prophets reminding the Jewish people to repent, right? Sometimes it sounds a little bit angry, like, you know, get going here, yelling, almost yelling at you. The sound of the shofar reminds us of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, the temple in Jerusalem, which was destroyed while the enemies played their trumpets, right? That's also a thing where, you know, we're taking over and then they, they, they use it in, in a time of war as well. And then we see he mentions Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, which we said earlier, because that was the ram that saved the day, right? Because the ram's horn was caught in the bushes, then God said, hey, here's a ram, use him instead of Isaac. So the ram saved the day there. Um, seven is when we hear the shofar, we tremble and we humble ourselves, right? We, you know, you, it's kind of scary, the sound. Um, and eight is the shofar reminds us of the ultimate day of judgment, okay? And nine is the kibbutz galuyot, the ingathering of the exiles, which we saw that we say every day in the, uh, in the Amidah prayer. And the last one is the shofar reminds us of the ultimate resurrection of the dead, which would be brought in with the sounding of the shofar. So we really have a lot of things to connect to here. Personally, I connect most with the ingathering of the exiles because I was personally a part of that, as well as the Akedah Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, which really took place just minutes from um, from where I live now, but I'm sure everybody has something here that they can connect to. So keep that in mind while you're listening. And you can also, every time the shofar is blown, you can pick a different idea, right, to connect to, or you can really just focus on waking yourself up and seeing what you need to do on your to-do list to be able to start the new year on the right foot. Okay, so that was the shofar and the idea that we have kavana, right? When we're doing a mitzvah, when we're, when we're observing a mitzvah, we're supposed to know that we're observing the mitzvah, right? For example, if you're sitting in the sukkah on Sukkot, it's not just because you want to sit outside and eat, eat with friends in a beautiful environment. It's because God said, I want you to sit in Sukkot for seven days. Okay, so um, so when you're in the sukkah, you should be thinking about that. And how do we think about that? We do the kiddush and we do the blessing on sitting in the sukkah. So we remind ourselves that that's what we're there for. Um, the shofar, obviously, when you hear the shofar, right, you realize that you're coming for the mitzvah. People come special to synagogue. They list usually in the bulletins, come by 1030 if you want to hear the shofar, because people want to observe uh, this mitzvah. Now, prayer is a little bit different because prayer, we don't have an object. We don't have a shofar. We don't have a sukkah, right? So the whole mitzvah, the whole act of prayer is praying, which, which is basically saying words. So it's a very difficult uh, thing to do, okay? And even though people are praying three times a day, okay, a lot of times they're not focused on what they're saying, or they don't understand what they're saying. So even though they may be going through the motions, the question is, are they really observing the mitzvah? Are they really praying? And this is where the preparation is gonna come in because we're gonna see that there's a lot of work to do in order to get to, that, to, the, to get to that point. Now, of course, if you have something dire 
that you want to pray for, there's always going to be more intent when you're praying because you there's something that you really want. God forbid somebody is in the hospital, right? Um, things like that, you know, then, then there's a lot more uh, intent. Um, and certainly I've worked with uh, women who are um, going through fertility challenges and they are so focused on praying for a child, you know, that takes over that takes over their prayer. So each of us has something that we really, really want. Some people want to get a job and they're praying you know, for that. So everybody has something that they really want. So the best thing to do is think of what you want and not just on Rosh Hashanah, but all year to really try to focus your prayers on getting what you want. And I'll tell you a secret. If you read through the Siddur, you read through the prayer book, if you read through the Machs or the High Holiday Prayer Books, you'll see that most of what you want is in there. You just have to figure out the Hebrew in order to, to know what, what, what you're praying about. Um, so we have the story of Hannah, right? The story of Hannah, which is read on the first day of Rosh Hashanah as the Haftorah. It's the reading from the, um, from the Nevi'im, from the prophets, from the book of Samuel. And in there, um, we see that Hannah is going through a very difficult time, right? She's living in a time where her husband could have more than one wife. So when she couldn't have a child, her husband married another woman, Penina. Penina had 10 children. Hannah sitting around with no children, very uncomfortable situation. Right? It's hard enough when there is no other co-wife. Here, there's a co-wife. It makes it much more difficult. And her husband, Elkanah, says, don't worry about it. I, you know, I love you more than, it, than if you had 10 children. They go up to, um, to the place called Shiloh, right, north, north of Jerusalem. That's where the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle was before, before the temple was built in Jerusalem. And she basically has enough of listening to her husband telling her, don't worry, you don't, you don't need to have children. I love you. I love you. Don't worry about it. So she gets up and she goes into the tabernacle and she prays. Now, this is at a time period where people didn't pray. They brought, they brought sacrifices. They would bring in an animal and, um, and that would be it. They, they didn't have to pray. So here she is and she's praying. Okay, this was never seen before. So Ellie, who is the Kohen Gadol, he's the, the high priest, he's looking at her like she's crazy. Okay, and what and what do we see? We see that she's um she's praying a lot and she's praying quietly with her lips. Now we're used to this, we're used to seeing people say the silent devotion, the Shrona Esrei, right? So we we're used to silent prayer, quiet prayer, but this was not done back then. So what does it say? The the Hayaki here, but when she prayed a lot. Uh, Lifnei Hashem before God, the Eli Shomer et Pihad. Eli, the Kohen, the, the high priest, is looking at her lips because she's praying but just moving her lips without any loud noises. She's speaking on her heart. Just her lips are moving. And she can't hear her. Eli looks at her and he thinks she's drunk. We think about it. When you see a drunk in the streets, right? They're moving their lips. They're muttering something, right? You don't know what, what they're talking about, right? And you just, oh, they must be drunk. Here, right, she just ate with her family, which the, the rabbis say that she didn't eat or drink. She sat with them, but she, she had no heart to eat or drink with them. But he's figuring she just came from the meal. She must have had too much wine, okay? And he, uh, he attacks her. He says, he says, you know, get your wine off of you. Sober up. Right. Um, and she tells him, you know what? I am a woman that is so upset because I don't have a child. I'm here to pray for this child. Don't think that I'm drunk. I am here because I'm speaking from my heart. 
Okay, so this is the first time this was done, and that's why he was surprised. Afterwards, he realizes that he made a mistake, and he um, and he apologizes, which is really a good lesson to see that even the high priest, the most important Jewish person at the time, was able to to step down and apologize. But the Talmud, the Gemara, says that we learn so many halachot, so many Jewish laws from Chana. Right? Anybody that thinks that, that women don't have to pray, just look at this piece of Gemara, and you will change your mind. Right? What did we learn from her? Um, how, how many halakhas do we learn from Chana? She speaks on her heart. A person praying must have kavana. They must have intent. They, their heart has to be in the right place when they're praying. You can't just pray, but your heart has to be in it. Oh, just her lips are moving. Every word has to be said with your lips. It doesn't have to be out loud, but you have to enunciate every word. You can't hear her. You, you shouldn't yell out in prayer. Right? You know how distracting it is. Everybody's praying quietly, and all of a sudden somebody yells out. Right? There's no reason God can hear you the same way. He thought she was drunk. A drunk person is not allowed to daven, to pray. And this is very important because on Purim and on Simchat Torah, there are communities that give out a lot of wine and a lot of liquor, and then they go finish the prayer service. That's not okay. You're not allowed to, to pray when you're drunk because you have no clue what you're saying. Um, so we learn in the, in the Mishnah in Brachot, you can only stand and pray when you're when you have um, an approach of gravity and submission. This is not talking about Hasidim like, like in Me'asharim, but we're talking about the first pious people. They would actually come to Shul an hour early and focus on what their prayers are going to be. Uh, and that way they'd be ready for prayer. Kind of like if you were going to meet with the president, right? You wouldn't want to just jump in there, but you'd want to sit and say, oh, what am I going to tell him? How am I going to approach him? Um, right? This way they can, they can you know, really focus on what they're going to tell God. Right? If 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 a if a king came up and said hi to you and you're and you're supposed to be praying, you're not supposed to interrupt. And if there was a, any kind of a, a scary animal bothering you, also, right? You're supposed to be so involved in your prayer that that you don't let anything else bother you. Uh, so the Gemara explains. Okay, so there's 19 blessings in the weekday Shrona Esrei, in the, in the weekday service. Um, and you're supposed to have kavana, you're supposed to have intent in all of those blessings. But if you can't have intent in every one of those blessings, at least have intent in one of them. The best is to focus in the first paragraph, which is the Avot, the one that talks about um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the reason for that is because it sets the tone, right? If you have Kavana, if you have intent in the first blessing, we're hoping it will push you to have intent in all of the blessings. And the Rambam says, okay. So the Rambam is saying that you should pray every day, right? Because it says, you should serve uh, the Lord your God. And this, this serving is prayer. 
uh, as it says, you should serve God with all of your heart. What is this serving God with the heart? It's tefillah, it's prayer. But the amount of times you pray is not in the Torah. The times of the prayer, all these things are added on later from the rabbis, that the form of the prayer, all these things only came later from the rabbis, but the idea that everybody has to pray, that is already in the Torah. And that's why the Rambam explains women and slaves, right, who in those days were in different categories than today, obviously, right, a, a slave, their time was not their own, right, but they still had to pray, and women as well, who were overwhelmed because there were no dishwashers, washing machines, um, you know, they had to do everything by hand, they had to get the get the wool off the sheep and, you know, do everything from scratch, right? They didn't have a lot of time to observe mitzvot and therefore they were allowed to, um, to skip observing some of the mitzvot, but yet they are obligated in prayer. And, and it's a shame because I think today a lot of people just don't realize that prayer is obligatory for women. A lot of people just don't realize this, but everybody, Rambam says, everybody needs to connect with God, right? We can't, you know, we have to praise God. We have to ask for things. Everybody needs that. So even in, and in his day, certainly when the women were not educated, right, maybe they couldn't read the prayer book and the slaves as well, but yet they, they were supposed to connect with God. And this is important today, certainly in a day where, um, where we, you know, we, we can read, right? And if, if, you're, if your Hebrew is not good enough, you can pray in English and you can pray from your heart. You know, everybody should, should make that opportunity to build a relationship with God. Right? We don't want to only do it on the high holidays, right? It's not a good thing, right? It's kind of like if you only talk to God once, you know, twice a year, it's kind of like an old friend that you didn't really keep up with, right? What if you need something in the middle of the year, right? You, you won't have that connection. So it is good to try to keep up the relationship all year and not, uh, not just pop up every time on the high holidays. And that's also why we're here tonight to, to get ourselves ready. Um, okay, so, and then there's this idea that if, if it's somebody that can read a lot, then they should read a lot, you know, and, and pray from the prayer book. But if they if they can't, you know, then they can speak from their heart. Everybody can do it. And what we see from the story of Hannah is that her prayer was so important because she was speaking from the heart. And because of her prayer, as we know it, is the way it is, right? Today, we do pray quietly, and it's it's all because of Hannah. Um, and the Rambam continues, what is Kavana? What is intent? Okay, get rid of all of your thoughts, okay? Which means that when you come into prayer, you come into the synagogue, leave everything else behind. Now, if it's on a weekday, you can just jot down before you start, just jot down what's on your mind. You know, I have to hang up the laundry. I have to go to the supermarket. I have to do this or that, right? Write it on a paper so it's not bothering you for the rest of the day and then you'll be free. And for the high holidays, do it before before the services start. You know, do it before a candle lighting. Just make a list of what you want to put on the side and make another list of what you want to pray for. And that way you'll you'll clear your mind and you'll focus on on what you need um, what you need to do. Okay, so um so the Shulchan Aruch says, there's an idea that mitzvot don't have to have intent. Um, and there's, a, there's an idea that they do have to have intent. Um, so what is the answer? They, he says they do have to have kavana, which means that when you're doing a mitzvah, you have to realize that you're doing this mitzvah. So the Mishnah Burr says, 
שלפי המתבאר מן הפוסקים, שני כוונות יש למצווה, יש two types of כוונה ותנט, כוונת הלב למצווה, right, your heart has to know that you're doing this מצווה, and כוונה לצאתבה, and the, uh, that you're, you want to fulfill the mitzvah, that you're, you're doing it because you're commanded to. Um, okay, so um, we have a very interesting concept from Chidushe Rav Chaim Halevi, Rav Soloveitchik's grandfather, okay? And what did he say? There's two types of kavanah. The first is knowing the meaning of the words, okay? Because how can you talk to God? How can you have intent? How can you make a relationship with God if you don't know what you're saying? I'm just blur, you know, just blurting out stuff in Hebrew, it doesn't make sense, right? So if you want to have that relationship, you have to understand the meaning of the words, which means either you get a sidur or a machzor that has the Hebrew and English side by side, so it's very easy for you to look back and forth so you know what you're saying, or do your homework now and start planning, right? Get your machzor, mark it up, make comments, understand what, what you're going to be saying, or pray in English, right? All of these things are to make sure that you know what you're saying, right? You wouldn't want to go into to give a speech, you know, without having looked at it in advance. And the other thing is to know that you're standing before God. Now, this is something very interesting because even if you don't know what you're talking about, if you know that you know you're standing in a synagogue, and especially if it's a gorgeous synagogue like the one in Hadassah Hospital, which has Chagall windows, right, and and it's with all the tribes and it's just gorgeous, and you say, "Wow, I feel I'm standing here. I feel like I'm standing before God," right? Then it doesn't even matter if you know what you're saying, right? But the ultimate, the best thing is to have both, right? To know what you're saying and to know that you're standing before God. And if you don't have those two, it could be considered as if you didn't even pray. Right, so that's that's where it would be problematic. And then we see that how connected Chana is to Rosh Hashanah. Um, it says in Brachot, Hanei Teisha de Rosh Hashanah Kenegimi. Right, we just said that on a regular weekday, there's 19 blessings in the Shemona Esrei Vatmidah prayer. On Rosh Hashanah, there's nine. And why are there nine? Amar Rabbi Yitzchak Demin Karti Ganin Kenegit Tisha Askarot Shamrachana Betvilata. Because in Hannah's prayer, when she went back and she thanked God for giving her that child, thank God she had Shmuel and she dedicated him to the temple. That was her. That was her promise that if she has this baby, she'll dedicate him to the temple. She had nine uh, statements written there, and those nine statements correspond to the nine paragraphs of the Shimon Esrei, that our prayer on Rosh Hashanah is, is, is built after Chana's prayer. Right, so the three main women uh, in, the, in the Torah that, that weren't able to have children on Rosh Hashanah, they were all remembered and they were able to have a child. And that's why we read in the, in the Torah reading of Rosh Hashanah, we read about Sarah the first day, and in the Haftorah, um, we read about um, Rachel on the second day. So these are the three women that were connected with Rosh Hashanah. So what's important to know so far is when we listen to the shofar, we have to have intent that we're fulfilling the mitzvah of hearing the shofar. And also, all the different things on the list, how you personally can connect with the shofar. And when we're praying, we should know what we're talking about. We should know that we're standing before God. We should know what we want to say and hopefully find what we want to say in the words of the prayers already. And if they're not there, if you have something that you want to pray for, um, you know, you know, start the kids off early. If they're eight years old, pray for a new Lego set, right? These are things that may not be in the Sidur or in the Mahzor, but they are things that you can add, right? You can add your own prayers as well.
Now we get up to the wearing of white clothing. Now um, there's a tradition in a lot of communities and in Israel, this is like super popular. I mean, you have people in Israel that do not set foot in a synagogue ever. And yet on Yom Kippur, they are wearing white. Everybody on the street is wearing white. It's an amazing, amazing experience. So what is going on here? Why is everybody wearing white? So there's a story told um, that a righteous person told his congregation and it's a little scary, right? He says, because they're all coming in wearing white. And he says, children of Israel, take to heart that it is in white garments like these uh, we are wearing now that we shall ascend to the world to come to be judged and give accounting before the king of all kings, the holy one, blessed is he. Let us then imagine that we are standing in this clothing before the throne of glory to be judged and give our final accounting. We should have true remorse for one who stands before the throne of glory is truly remorseful. What is he saying? When somebody dies, they wear white, right? We wrap them up in a kittle. We wrap them up in shrouds, right? So he's saying, here you are, you're wearing white. This could be your day of death, God forbid, right? So do what you need to do to make sure that it isn't by, uh, by doing tshuva now. And the Shulchan Aruch um, explains, So the, some synagogues have the custom of dressing up the synagogue in, in nice white, white colors. Um, you know, some synagogues have Torah scroll, scrolls that are covered with white instead of the usual purple or blue or whatever it is, or even the, um, the curtain on the Aron Kodesh, uh, the curtain on the Ark they'll switch it to white, right? So that, that goes all the way back to the Shulchan Aruch. And then the Ramah says, Yesh He said, there are also people have the custom to wear white clothing, and clean. Remember in those days, they didn't have dry cleaners and they didn't do laundry that often. So it was like a big deal to wear something white or clean. Uh, so this is like the angels, and we'll see in a minute where he gets that from. Right? And, and that's also why people wear a kittel, which is that white robe that you often see the rabbis and the cantors wearing. That is white and clean again. This is also the clothing that somebody is buried in. Um, but, but, um, Right? And because of this, you you're automatically humbled, right? Wow, I'm wearing what somebody would be buried in, and that could really change your perspective. Um, so in Yechezkel, um, in the in the prophets, we see that that um, there's this concept of somebody wearing linen, right? Linen is was white. Um, and we see um, that it says here. Um, um, so, um, so this person is wearing um, clothing of linen, okay, and this person actually is really one of the angels, probably Gavriel. Okay, and in Daniel also we see this by Yomar Again, there's this person wearing this this linen, um, and also this is probably the angel Gabriel. So this is where we get the idea that the angels wore white. I think in most cultures people have angels wearing white um, as well. And then in Ishayahu we see Lechuna Venivkacha Yomar Hashem Im Yuchatechem. Um, okay, so this is really interesting. Okay, if you are right, this is the whole idea that the Jewish people sinned, God is willing to forgive them, right? If your clothing is red, God will make it white, okay? Um, and what do they have, of course, in Israel as a 
as a commercial for a laundry detergent. They actually use this verse to say, use our detergent and your clothing will be white, right? So, but the deeper meaning of this is not just in your clothing, but by wearing white, you're showing that your sins have disappeared. Um, and we see that this is also the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. This is the clothing of the high priest, right? Kutnot bad kodesh yobash bad right? So this is this, this linen tunic and linen breeches, right? So this is, again, we want to be like the Kohen Gadol. We want to be like the high priest on Yom Kippur. And Ramban says, right? So this is similar to the angel that we just saw wearing the white clothing. So this is this is a holy clothing, right? The Kohen did not wear white on the other days, but it was a special outfit that he wore on Yom Kippur. Um, and then we see in the Gemara and Shabbat, Amar le Reish Galuta le Rav Hamnuna, my dictiv ulikdosh Hashem Mechubad, Amar le Zeyom Kippurim. Okay, so what's, how is the holy day honored, right? Yom Kippur is totally different, right? On Shabbat, how do we honor it, right? We eat, we drink, right? Uh, but on Yom Kippur, right? We don't eat. We don't have anything else, right? We're in the synagogue all day. The only thing that we can really do to honor God on that day is to wear a nice, white, clean garment. Now, remember, Yom Kippur is not a sad day, right? It is a fast day, but it's not a sad day like Tisha B'Av. Okay, it's Tisha B'Av, we're just, we're, you know, we're remembering the destruction of the temple. Yom Kippur is not a sad day, it's actually a happy day, right? And the Gemara says there were no happier days than the 15th of Av, which is the holiday celebrated after Tisha B'Av is over and people are starting to find, find matches and get married. And Yom Kippur is a happy day, right? So what's going on? The, on both of those days, the women of Jerusalem would go outside and they would wear white clothing that they borrowed so that they wouldn't embarrass their friends, okay? And they would go dance in the vineyards. Right? Right, dancing on Yom Kippur. It's interesting because in our synagogue in Riverdale, uh, Rav Shmuley, were you ever there on Yom Kippur? Right, so they dance. And I, they... I, 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 at that shul on Yom Kippur, I cried through the whole thing. I was like a baby. Right, the end, everybody's dancing and singing. It's over. It's the only synagogue I ever heard of in the world where it's the time of the fast is over and people are still sitting there and singing and dancing and having fun. Because what's the idea? We want to believe that everything is good and that we're going to be written in the book of life. So we don't have any reason to be sad, right? We, we're going to sing. The tunes are great and the dancing is great and, and everybody is happy, right? So this is just like the holiday of Tu Bab when everybody's trying to find a date and it's kind of like a singles weekend. That's that's what what um, what Yom Kippur is. It's a happy time. Um, so what do they say? There is no no greater holidays than these. Why? Uh, and then they say, wait, what do you mean Yom Kippur? Fine, we understand too, because people are dating and they're going to get married and it's a great time. But you know, Yom Kippur, Mishum to eat base because that's the day where we're forgiven. Right? And that's when the new Lucha were given, right? Finally, God forgave the Jewish people. Moshe broke the, the Ten Commandments. Finally, he goes back up. He, he's there for another 40 days. He gets them, he brings them back, and that's it. It's a happy time. Everything is forgiven. So the white clothing is joyous, right? It's not only it's not only the clothing of the angels and of the of the Kohen. It's not only the clothing that reminds us 
that there is also a day of our death, but it's also, um, it's a special holiday. It's a time to get dressed up. And I think that it really makes an impression when you're wearing something so white and clean that you really say, you know what, I wanna make, I wanna make a fresh start. So I think that we see from all three angles here, right? We see different areas where we can find spirituality. You can see why you would wanna wear a white garment if it would be something from this list or another reason, maybe just to be part of the community, to feel part uh, to feel part of the Jewish people. And in Israel, they kind of extended this to all kinds of holidays because people wear on Rosh Chodesh, on the new month, they wear a white shirt and on Shabbat, they wear a white shirt. And then we have all the modern holidays, uh, Yom Atzma'ud, Independence Day and Yom, Yom Zikaron, Memorial Day and Yom HaShoah. And, and all these days now, people wear white. It's like a symbol of, of purity. It's a symbol of happiness. It's a symbol that everything is going to be okay. So I want to wish you all a uh, that you should be written in the book of life and you should be signed in the book of life and that your holidays really should be uplifted. But the way to do that is really to start preparing now, jotting down uh, ideas that you want to bring with you into the synagogue to make that holiday more special for you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So friends, we'd love to hear uh, any questions um, you might have for Rabbanit Sharona on spiritually preparing for the high holidays. On the last point of sanctity and bringing white and making things special, might it be a good idea for people not to wear white shirts the rest of the year? Um, so it's interesting because a regular Israeli does not wear a white shirt on a regular day. For example, if I wear a white shirt on a regular Tuesday, people say, oh, what's the occasion? <laughs> I did that once, so I won't do it again. <laughs> um, so it's very much, people know this is something set aside for Shabbat, for Yom Kippur, for Ro Rosh Chodesh, and, and for a holiday. And otherwise, you really don't see people wearing white. Yeah, well, except Haredi. Oh, well, that's that's a different, that's a different, it's more, they have more of a uniform where it's a white shirt and black pants every day. And then on Shabbat, it's a fancier one. You know, it's not the $5 shirt, but it's the $40 shirt. Great. Anyone else want to jump in? I'd like to just ask something, and it's a little off base, but when I grew up, Rosh Hashanah was not a happy holiday. It was a, oh boy, am I a terrible person. I'm going to sit there all day and hope that God will forgive me and I won't be zapped, you know, and, and all that. But over time, it's kind of morphed into a happy day where you know God forgives you. So kind of when you go in in Rosh Hashanah, before the end, when you're all purified and all, what's your attitude to be? Should your attitude be very humble, I'm a terrible person? Or should it be, I'm okay, made some mistake? You know, just sort of what, what should be the attitude you come in with, in your opinion? Okay, so that's a really good question. So the Sephardim um, have already started saying slichot. They say the slichot prayers, um, the prayers of penitence for the entire month of Elul. The Ashkenazim start the Saturday night before Rosh Hashanah, right, the week before. And the idea there is to say some of the prayers that we say on Yom Kippur, right, to ask, you know, a lot of the asking for forgiveness type of prayers. Then we hit Rosh Hashanah, and believe it or not, Rosh Hashanah leaves out the slicho, right? They, it leaves out these prayers of penitence. It, it's really only happy songs. We eat all that really good, sweet stuff to 
get ourselves in a really good mood. I also recommend, and I didn't have time to do this um, in this class, but it's definitely something for the future, you know, to do a Rosh Hashanah Seder where you have all these great, and this is really popular now in Israel, uh, where you have all these great foods that, that symbolize something, right? A carrot is that you'll, you know, you'll have a good gazardin, gezer, gazar, right? That it's, um, the, the, there's play on words for, for each of these. There's like 10, 15 foods that people will have. And it's a happy time, you know, that, you know, my, my bad decree will be ripped up, right? Or, uh, you know, the sweet will be, the year will be as sweet as honey, right? Things like that. And uh, so it's all a happy, Rosh Hashanah is happy. And then the Aser Yimei the, the 10 days of repentance, the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, again, we do the Slichot prayers. We, we go back to the, to the repentance. And then Yom Kippur, we really go on heavy with the repentance, okay? But the idea that on Rosh Hashanah, we kind of have a break from it, that this is a happy time. It, I think it sets the tone that, you know, don't don't get overwhelmed with the slichot and don't get overwhelmed with the with the Yom Kippur because this is something that we're hoping is going to be a happy time. And then that's also why we end, you know, we end Yom Kippur, the Shana Habavi or Shalom next year in Jerusalem, just like we end the Pesach later. We try to we try to make it as upbeat as possible, even though for sure on Yom Kippur, there is that time of contemplation, right? When we say, Ashamnu bagadnu, right? I have sinned, I have betrayed, right? In each of those lines, really, we're supposed to think about, first of all, they're in the plural, so that nobody feels like anybody's looking at them when, when they get up to, I stole, oh, did you shoplift, right? Whatever, whatever it is, right? We're saying it as a community, right? But each of us should really take a moment, and this is part of the Kavanah, part of the class, each of us should take a moment and say, wait, did, what am I guilty for, right? What did I, who did I betray? What did I do wrong, right? What, where can I do it better? So it's self-reflection. It's not, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble, but it's more, you know, where can I make it better for next time? Where did I recognize that I did wrong and, and make it better for next time? So it definitely should be upbeat, right? It should be upbeat, but, but it should also be that we have to really do some reflection and, you know, move on. From where we were but 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 the idea is to keep rosh hashanah totally happy and that's why a lot of those prayers are gone and then yom kippur is a mixture but you know it's kind of something that has to get done and then in the end it, it ends on a high note great uh one more person maybe amazing okay well thank you rabbi shirana halakman for this fascinating class and thank you all for joining us um we hope you'll join us next week to learn with dr tanya white on repentance as the transformation of self through the call of the other and with Dr. Alana Stein-Hain on nature and revelation, what the Jewish calendar teaches us about their relationship, um, and lots of other opportunities as well. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.